Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. Welcome, everybody. I'm very happy to be here today. And I understand we're orienting our Elul around Midot, and the Midah that I am focusing on is community, Kehillah. So today I'm going to be talking about Ruach in the Chater Ochel, language and community at American Jewish summer camps. And for those of you who don't know, Ruach is spirit and Chater Ochel is dining hall. I'm going to start with a video of comedian Benji Lovett. Oh, let's see if this works. Okay. Can you hear it now? Yeah, great. great. Yeah, I was born a big Zionist. I uh, grew up going to Jewish summer camp. Graduates of Jewish summer camp, clap your hands. Yeah. Ah. We love Jewish summer camp, don't we? Yeah. We learn so much. We learn about Jewish culture, Jewish community, Jewish peoplehood. You know what we didn't learn? The Jewish language of Hebrew. We thought we learned Hebrew. We learned nouns. You see, nobody ever left camp actually able to construct a sentence. I mean, I guess if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have to say, singing, dancing, camper counselor, dining room. <laughs> you might be okay. If you think you learned Hebrew at Jewish summer camp, try telling them that at LL Security. So, uh, do you know Hebrew? Why, sure, I went to Jewish summer camp. So that is Benji Lovett, and it is a common discourse. It's a topic of conversation, debate, and humor among American Jews, this idea of Hebrew at Jewish summer camps. I'm going to be focusing on this today through various lenses, and my main point is that most camps use Hebrew as a way of fostering connections and community, not proficiency in the Hebrew language. And Hebrew use at camp has been a locus for diverse opinions about what it means to be an American Jew. Now, this is based on my book that recently came out that I co-authored with my colleagues Jonathan Krasner and Sharon Avni. And we did this research from 2012 to 2015. We did historical research in archives and with interviews, and we did a survey of camp directors' observations at 36 camps. That was the most fun part of it. Observations of various trainings and interviews with many camp directors, staff, campers, and alumni. And here you can see where the camps were that we observed, mostly in the Northeast and in Southern California, but also in various other parts of the U.S. and one in Canada. And we visited camps of all different types, representing the vast diversity of American Jewish summer camps. First, a few definitions. We talk about a continuum of Hebrew richness, and this has to do with how much Hebrew is used at each camp. And there really is a continuum from the least Hebrew at private and independent and JCC camps and the most Hebrew at Zionist movement camps and the Ramah camps and historically Masad in the Poconos and today continuing at Masad in Manitoba. 
Another term that we use is Hebrew as a flexible signifier. Now, this means that Hebrew can mean different things. Social meaning of Hebrew can be different depending on the context and depending on the words used. So sometimes when people hear a Hebrew word, they have associations with Israel, sometimes with Judaism, sometimes with camp, and all of these connect with Jewishness. Another definition is a term that we came up with called Camp Hebraized English, English, also known as CHE. CHE is a register of Jewish American English that includes many Hebrew words, both Jewish life words and camp words. Jewish life words are words that are used in other Jewish communal settings like Shabbat Shalom, Ruach, Birkat Hamazon, and Bateavon. And camp words are Hebrew words that are used primarily at camp, like tzrif, chader ochel, madrich, and peula. <clears throat> and here's an example of a CHE sentence that uses several camp words and one Jewish life word. Madrichim, madrichot, you know which chanichim from your tzrifim need to take meds. After the beer cut, please go directly to the teatron for peula erev. So people might say, is that an English sentence? Well, no, it's Camp Hebraized English. Another definition is a term that we came up with called Hebrew infusion. C-H-E is one aspect of Hebrew infusion. Hebrew infusion is when camp staff members incorporate elements of Hebrew into the primarily English-speaking environment through songs, signs, games, and words. Now, the primary goal of Hebrew infusion is identity formation and connection, not proficiency. And when we're talking about connection, we're talking about connections between a Jewish camper and the Hebrew language and various collectivities, which could be that camp, it could be American Jews, the Jewish people, or Israel. And this is not just a Jewish thing. This is a broader construct that we call ethno-linguistic infusion, where community, community leaders incorporate fragments of the group language to foster ideological connections between the individual, the language, and the group. An example of this would be in the Elam Pomo Indian community in California. They speak English, but their ceremonies are framed by Elam greetings and also songs and blessings. <coughs> and in Cornwall, England, there are signs in the Kernoic language, which hasn't been transmitted intergenerationally since the 19th century, but people still see it as an important aspect of the identity of living in Cornwall, and so it is infused into the environment through signs. <clears throat> now, when we talk about Hebrew infusion, what practices are we talking about? Well, I'm going to give you some examples of these practices, and I'm going to give you a number in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. That number is the percentage of camps that indicate that they have each of these things. So all of the Jewish camps that we surveyed have blessings, songs, and prayers in Hebrew. And a lot of them have Hebrew group names like Sabras, Tzofim, Nachshonim, etc., Many also have activity names in Hebrew, such as this schedule from Camp Newman that has mostly Hebrew words. 
same with location names. Many location names at the camp are used with Hebrew words in English sentences, of course. Now, when we talk about Jewish life words, we see that most Jewish camps use them, use several of them. But when we look at camp words, we see a much different distribution that the Zionist network camps like Ramah, Bnei Akiva, Young Judea, Habonim Dror use a lot more of these than the other camps. And Orthodox camps, aside from Bnei Akiva, and independent camps, the AIJC is the Association of Independent Jewish Camps, use very few of these words. Another common feature of Hebrew infusion is signs. There are many liturgical and biblical quotes that are presented around camp in beautiful placards and murals. And there are also signs indicating the locations at camp with Hebrew words, sometimes in Hebrew letters, sometimes in transliteration. There are also pedagogical signs. Nobody needs this sign to know that that is a chair. Why is this sign here? Well, it could be pedagogical that they want to teach that word, but also it could be symbolic. It indicates that Hebrew is important in this environment. We also see word lists posted around camp in various places that are intended to teach some of these words. Another aspect of Hebrew infusion is fun activities. And sometimes these are ritualized, like skits and songs, often led by visiting Israeli staff. And one type of this activity involves homophony, where a Hebrew word and an English word sound similar, especially in an Israeli accent, like this. I have a Hirshi kiss in my pocket. Kiss, pocket. Oh, share it with me. Oh, share. Oh, share, right? So now sometimes this happens in a skit that involves misunderstanding, like the person who had a teak, a bag, and someone said, oh, I like your teak. And that person said, what? I have a tick. Where's my tick? And then Ish Ivri or Mr. Milon or some Israeli flag wearing superhero comes in and explains the confusion. Another one that most people are aware of is Mazleg. There's a fork in Mazleg. Uh, and these kinds of skits emphasize the connections between English and Hebrew. And they, they portray Hebrew as a fun part of American Jewish life. Another way that words are taught is through the sandwich method. We're going to the Agam, lake, Agam clap. Now that clap, clap is the Hebrew sandwich, but it also brings attention to the word and makes it a fun ritual. There's also informal teaching, like when the leader at camp says a big ma'agal with everybody in it, and a counselor says to a new camper, let's make a big circle. Ma'agal means circle. So that's more informal teaching of not Hebrew, but of camp Hebraized English, right? And then there's the Israeli counselor who stands at the top of the water slide and won't let the kids slide down until they say a Hebrew word or learn a Hebrew word. Now, the kids might not remember the word that they learned, but they come to associate Hebrew with the fun of the water slide. Another aspect of Hebrew infusion is when Israeli shlichim, emissaries, use Hebrew informally with campers. 
Another type is call and response, where there is a set phrase that is used at that particular camp, and the kids know it and use it in the proper context, such as at Camp Becholashon, where the uh, camp visits a new Jewish community each morning, and when they are about, when they're learning which a community they're going to visit, they get, they say this Hebrew phrase, Efo Eliyahu Ba Olam. Or at Camp Gilboa, when the leaders say, Shabbat Shalom, Machane Gilboa, and the whole camp responds, Shabbat Shalom, Michael, Vijessica, Vesera, Nitzanim, Kulam Po, Kulanu Po, Sayalim, Kulam Po, Kulanu Po. So you see here, you don't really need to know Hebrew, even though this is an entire Hebrew exchange. All you need to do is know the correct phrase to respond in this ritualized call and response sequence. We also have ritualized announcements, which are less common, but are still found at some camps, like at Ramah, Safsalim ala shulchanot, or a, an announcement that says the name of the group and the place where they are supposed to go, like Gesher limigrash kadursal, Nitzanim legaziba banim, Adat shalom lemakom tefillah. And again, you don't need to know Hebrew to understand Hebrew grammar. All you need to know is that L means two and to listen for the name of your group and the place where you're supposed to go. And if you don't catch it, you can just follow the people in your group. But some camps do have novel sentence announcements in Hebrew, which require more proficiency productive um, in the, the person who's saying it and receptive proficiency in the people who are hearing it. Even less common is Hebrew classes. And when some camps have Hebrew classes, they are really like classes, but often they are more like fun activities intended to make Hebrew feel like a fun thing that is part of camp life. Fewer camps have Hebrew theatrical productions, but they're very important in making people feel uh, that Hebrew is fun and and helping people remember the songs. A lot of alumni that we've spoken to who attended Ramah, Young Judea, Masad camps remember the, all the lyrics to the songs that they sang in the musicals. And whenever they hear the English version of the musical, they think of the Hebrew version and they remember their fun times at camp. Very uncommon, it's very rare to have immersion programs or even full full immersion camps but there are a few camps that do this especially at Ramah camps and the Chalutzim immersion program at Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute and the um, Camp Masad in Manitoba which does still use Hebrew as its official language and the kids are expected to understand the Hebrew announcements. So when we look at all of these practices together, we find that the Hebrew infusion practices like blessings, songs, names for units and locations are very common, and Hebrew classes and immersion programs are pretty rare. And this is related to the goals of camps. Most of the camps are interested in connection, not proficiency. We asked about various educational goals on our survey. And we found that the Hebrew proficiency goals, like strengthening proficiency in Hebrew or ability to read, were very rare. 
And the infusion goals, like strengthening knowledge of Hebrew songs and blessings and connection to Hebrew, were common at about half of camps. But the most common goals were Jewish connection goals, enhancing personal Jewish identity and strengthening connection to the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And Hebrew infusion plays a role in fostering these connections. So I want to turn now to some historical debates, immersion versus infusion. And I want to focus for a minute on Camp Masad in the Poconos and Camp Ramah in, in not just New England, but in the various places where Ramah camps have been, in the Poconos and in Wisconsin and other places. Masad was primarily a Hebrew immersion camp, whereas Ramah started out kind of as an immersion camp, but became a Hebrew infusion camp. And this was even uh, a controversy that was related to Zionism. In 1950, the, uh, some people who, had, who worked at Mossad were aware of a flag at Camp Ramah in the Poconos that had the tablets of the Ten Commandments rather than the Israeli flag. And they thought that this was a terrible thing. So they made, printed up a bunch of leaflets and they rented an airplane and they flew it over Camp Ramah and all of these leaflets rained down on the camp. However, it turned out that this was during lunch and so nobody saw the, the airplane with the leaflets dropping down. And later someone found it and when they were hiking in the woods, because they had all blown into the woods, and uh, it required a, a major apology. But it shows how uh, different these camps were, even though they were very similar in many ways and were founded by some of the same people. And But if you look at how they approach Hebrew, you'll see some of the differences. So Shlomo Schulzinger, who was the founding director of Camp Masad in the Poconos, said, if there is any hope of the American Jewish community preserving its identity as an ethnic subcommunity, it must be through transmitting to the younger generation, or at least at the very least to a select portion of it, the key to the Jewish treasure house furnished by the Hebrew language. For Schulzinger, Hebrew was central. That was the most important thing about Camp Masad. And it worked. Hebrew was the language of the camp. People at Masad had to speak Hebrew. In fact, they got an ayin if they spoke Hebrew, but they got their ayin taken away, if like a badge, if they were found to speak English at all. And there was the Masad Hebrew Dictionary that was sent out to all campers before camp started and even found its way to many other camps. And here you see a picture of baseball terms at Camp Masad, not just as a way of fostering the importance, the symbolic importance of Hebrew, but because they were actually supposed to call balls and strikes in Hebrew. At Ramah, Hebrew was the official public language. And here you see a picture of the canteen known as the Chanutiyah, which some have criticized as not a word that would be used in Israel, but was a very commonly known word at Ramah camps and, and still is at some Ramah camps, I think. And you can see that they have the names of the things you could order at the canteen in Hebrew letters. So yes, Hebrew was the official public language at Ramah camps and still is 
the language of announcements at some Ramah camps, but informal conversations were not in Hebrew. They were in English or in Camp Hebraized English. Now, the leaders of Camp Ramah did feel that Hebrew was important. In fact, Seymour Fox wrote, all of us believed that if you wanted to understand and be part of Jewish history, you had no choice but to master Hebrew. But Sylvia Ettenberg, also a leader of Ramah, said a number of us felt that although Hebrew should be the language of camp, Hebrew was only an instrument. It couldn't be the goal. And Moshe Davis was particularly disappointed in how Hebrew developed at Ramah camps. He said, as a founding member of the Mossad camps, I hoped that we at Ramah would be able to cultivate a Hebrew-speaking camp. We felt that it was much more efficient to give them basic Jewish knowledge than to focus on language and not reach the content. For the leaders of Ramah, the content was the more important thing. And yes, Hebrew was important, but it turned out that it was very difficult to have a fully Hebrew-speaking camp. And observers recognized this. In 1972, a visitor, Bill Novak, said this about a Ramah camp. A great deal of effort is spent on teaching children an amazing list of specialized words, dustpan, sculpture, sandpaper, archery, diving boards. I'm sure some of you know some of these words in Hebrew. In fact, ya'eh, dustpan, some people only know that word in Hebrew because the only time they uh, encountered a dustpan was at camp. Anyway, he went on to say, Ramah has succeeded only in Judaizing or Hebraizing a child's English vocabulary. Ramah campers learn how to do everything in Hebrew except talk. Now, this was a common critique and still is, as you'll see in a few minutes. I'm going to talk about the contemporary debates of, of how Hebrew is used in camps today. So first, we see a concern about language acquisition. One administrator of a young Judea camp said that a funder told him that using words like chater ochel in English sentences is bad for campers' Hebrew language acquisition. An administrator at Asrui, uh, the reform camp that does have a Hebrew immersion program, but also has Hebrew classes in all of the different age groups, said, I would much rather have a youngster say, Ani holech le dining hall, instead of, I'm walking to the chader ochel. If all you know is chader ochel, you can't do much with that noun. Ani kotev michtav to my parents is, is more important to me than I'm writing a letter to my horim. And he's not the only one who feels this way. Um, a, a Hebrew educator that's part of Ramah's Daber program, Daber is a program that tries to get more Hebrew in Ramah camps, said, a language is not just a noun. You can only learn how it behaves if you hear its flow, if you hear its intonation, if you hear its rhythm. And if you say, I'm going to the Brecha, what is that? They're giving camp a flavor of Hebrew. And I agree with that. That's exactly what they're doing. That's what Hebrew infusion is. It gives camp a flavor of Hebrew. On the other side of this coin is a concern about comprehension. One camp, Ramon the Rockies, said that they used to do announcements in Hebrew. But he said both our kids and counselors really did not know what the heck was going on and were very often missing key announcements. So we moved to a model where we say repetitive phrases in Hebrew, but many of the key announcements are made in English. 
So for example, they might say, safsalim al hashulchanot, which is a common phrase in many Ramah camps that use benches to put on the, and then put them on the tables afterwards. Or at Camp Salman Schechter, um, there was a concern about kids' reactions if they were to use a lot of Hebrew. He said, camp has got to be fun, and these words are fun. And it's fun to see kids getting into Judaism. If they're getting into Judaism because we made up some fun little word and then that sparked their interest to go further, fine. To insist upon full sentences in Hebrew is going to cause some campers to retract. And then they could potentially say that limud is not fun or ivrit is not fun. So because of this orientation, this camp actually changed their sessions that were called limud to Pi'ulat sababa, literally activity of coolness. It doesn't really make so much sense in Hebrew, but it sounds cool. And it's, as they said, they made up some fun little word and it makes Hebrew more fun. At URJ Camp Kalsman, someone said that Jewish language is a really powerful tool for community building and counselors should use more Hebrew and Yiddish words. Uh, someone at Bieber camp rejects the ideology that Hebrew is important for the Israel connection. He said, you and I could learn Hebrew and I could hate Israel. You and I could know nothing about Hebrew and have an amazing and meaningful connection. So Hebrew is not necessary to have that connection to Israel. At the same time, Hebrew is a very important tool in how many camps foster that connection to Israel. In fact, when we attended a training for Israel programming at camp, one of the main things they did was talk about incorporating more Hebrew at camp. Another concern when we see, when we talk about competing ideologies is that innovative Hebrew loanwords and clippings and blends are incorrect Hebrew. And some of the common offenders that people talk about are the chadar, like we're going to the chadar, meaning chadar ochel, the dining hall. Or the word marp, which in modern Hebrew is mirpa'ah, but in kibbutz Hebrew was marpe'ah, and and then there it became marp, and that spread to many other camps around the country. Another clipping is to melt, because the word for waiter in Hebrew is meltzar, and many camps talk about meltzarim, and what do the meltzarim do? If you're a melter, you melt. Uh, and then you have some blends like shaboptions, tefloptions, and penic, personal nikayon. Now, are these examples of incorrect Hebrew? Well, yeah, but they're also examples of correct camp Hebraized English. And this is what the camps want. They want to foster these connections to make Hebrew fun and to emphasize the relationship between English and Hebrew and to give campers ownership over Hebrew words. And if they insisted on full grammatical correctness with all of these words, then they really wouldn't be able to use them in English sentences. Another concern is that the Hebrew word skits that I talked about before don't foster proficiency. And that's true. They don't. Instead, they emphasize the connections between the language and they make Hebrew a fun part of American Jewish life. Now, why are there tensions? What causes these tensions? 
Well, it really has to do with the history of Hebrew. Hebrew was originally a language that was used for ritual and for study primarily. And in the last century or a century and a half, it became a vernacular in Hebrew. It was re-vernacularized. And when the state of Israel was established, it became an official language of a country. And this these historical developments led to the privileging of modern Israeli Hebrew over textual Hebrew and of vernacular Hebrew production over the mixing of Hebrew words into whatever language Jews speak, as they had been doing throughout history. Another reason for these tensions is an ideology of language purity, the idea that there are distinct languages, Hebrew and English, and you should speak one or the other. You shouldn't mix them together. But in reality, most people around the world do mix languages because most people, aside from Americans, live in situations of multilingualism, where there are multiple languages spoken in their countries and their communities. And of course, many Americans do this language mixing too, including Jews. When we're talking about um, doing tshuva in preparation for the chagim and aseret yume tshuva, right? We're not just speaking English. We mix in Hebrew words all the time in our Jewish English. Another reason for the competing ideologies is unclear or unstated goals. When camps use Hebrew in these innovative ways, they don't usually tell people why they do it. They just do it. Sometimes it's not even intentional. It's just part of camp tradition. And so they continue the traditions of their camps that they have been doing for many decades. Uh, and, and in conclusion... American Jewish summer camps have come up with fun, creative ways to infuse Hebrew into the primarily English environment. Why camps in particular? Well, it's because they provide a convenient venue for intense Hebrew infusion. There are distinctive locations that need names. There are roles like campers and counselors and Roche logistics, right, that need names. And there are activities that are unique to camp, like Sriya, swimming, and Pe'ulad Erev, evening activity. Also, there are many traditions that distinguish camp from the outside world. So it makes sense that having distinctive language would be part of that repertoire of traditions. And finally, Camp has a lot of Hebrew because of its history, because of the history of Hebrew immersion camps that had an influence on Hebrew infusion camps. And then a, a, a whole other part of the history that I didn't get into about the reform movement taking on more Hebrew in its camps as it became more as they became more Zionist and JCC association camps becoming more engaged in Jewish life, including incorporating more Hebrew words. And of course, this Hebrew infusion leads to competing ideologies about is it proficiency that we're looking for, or are we trying to foster connection? And what type of Hebrew should be used at camp? And who should be an expert? And at most camps, connection really is the primary driver for Hebrew use. And uh, this connection, when we're talking about 
connection. It could be a connection to that camp or the camp community or a particular community of American Jews, maybe eco-Jews or Jews of color or Russian Jews or Sephardic Jews, or it could be American Jews more broadly or Israel or Israelis or Zionists or Jews all around the world. And I'm going to give the last word in my presentation to JDate because uh, a JDate commercial that came out while we were doing our research really illustrates these trends that I'm talking about, the, the importance of Camp Hebrew for fostering connections, not just within one camp, but between people who attended different Jewish camps. Here's the commercial. I am so glad that Jen set us up. Yeah. So how do you guys know each other? Jen and I went to summer camp together. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. You know, I never lost a Maccabi. Oh, whoa. I, I know, Watch right? out. Uh, what's Maccabi, yeah? Oh, man. I am tired. You know, I never lost a Maccabi. Color Wars? You know what that is? Yeah, we call it Maccabi too. Do you want to go out and grab a drink? <laughs> yes. Oh, I laugh every do time I see you. my parents? Uh, and that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, I would love to answer questions and take your comments. There's all this research about uh, what keeps kids, it's, I don't know how recent the research is, but, you know, what keeps kids connected to being Jewish? And one of the things is summer camp. So how does this, re your research dovetail or connect with that other sociological research about connection to ongoing Jewish identity and connection? Right. I do think that language plays a role in the effectiveness of Jewish summer camps at fostering Jewish identities and connections. But of course, it's not the only thing. Uh, we could have written a similar book about music or about um, horseback riding or sports or the ways that Jewishness is integrated into activities. And some camps tend to compartmentalize their Jewishness and some camps integrate it into Jewish activities throughout the camps. Um, Ramah is an example of an integrative camp where Hebrew and Jewish content are integrated in various parts of the camp. So if you go to the volleyball court, you'll see Israeli volleyball instructors uh, encouraging the kids to use Hebrew as they hit the ball over the net. And uh, you'll see um, in dance class, well, a lot of the uh, electives, the classes are run by Israeli shlichim, uh, which is intentional. And they are actually instructed to incorporate Hebrew words into their, and not just Hebrew, like to actually speak Hebrew as they do these activities. And um, they actually find it kind of difficult to do that because they know that the kids aren't fluent in Hebrew. So they end up speaking more English. And so I actually observed at some Ramah camps, the director walking around and reminding the shlichim to speak Hebrew as they were leading activities. And what I found was they really ended up mixing the languages, not just using camp Hebraized English like um, Americans would, but also really translanguaging, like intermingling the two languages in, in much more intensive ways and much more productive ways. Like we would say Spanglish. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I have a question uh, in the chat. What do you anticipate the trend to be moving forward? 
Well, it's interesting. Right now, there is um, a movement to incorporate Hebrew immersion in Jewish day camps. And I do think that some, maybe a few overnight camps might take that on. And it's, it's a funded initiative called Kites Kef. And it's, it's in several day camps. And um, I think we might see that in a few overnight camps. But I don't think that that will become a very common trend in, in overnight camps because we've seen the history that the Mossad camps in, in the Poconos did not last after I mean, they, they closed in the 80s. They had their heyday in the mid-20th century, but they were not um, sustainable because there was not a, um, um, well, first of all, because they drew a lot of their staff members and participants from Orthodox yeshivas, uh, especially Flatbush, Yeshiva Flatbush and, and Ramaz. And, um, and, Eventually, there was some request to when when the camp couldn't sustain itself, um, would these schools want to take over the camp? And they didn't, so so it ended up closing. Um, but the fact that 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 camp was not sustainable, and today there were very few of these immersion programs. I think that is the trend that we're going to see going forward. I think we're going to see more intentional Hebrew infusion. This notion of intentionality is something that I hear a lot. Another thing that I think we're going to see is more creative uses of Hebrew. We already get this in the Habonim drawer movement, where uh, the, the, camp, the camps have created a new form of gender suffixes. So say, saying Habonim Ot, Bonimot is, you know, the imot suffix, which is a masculine and feminine plurals together as an inclusive plural. And then a gender non-binary or a gender neutral suffix, ol, as in chanichol or mapilol. That ol suffix means it's not a chanich or a chanicha, it's a chanichol. It's, so it could be someone who's non-binary or it could just be, um, you say, you know, go give this to a madrichol, meaning give this to a counselor, but not specifying male or female. And I've actually seen this starting to catch on outside of Jewish summer camps outside of the Habonim Jorah movement. I think it's also used in the in the Hashomer Hatzair camps, but I've seen it catching on a little bit in um, in religious schools where they want a um, gender neutral term for madrich or more or mora. So they might say um, madrichimot and or um, go give this to a madrichol. So I I do think that kind of creativity with Hebrew is going to catch on a little more. It's also interesting that that doesn't work so well in Israel, right? There are some attempts to create gender neutral or non-binary versions of the Hebrew language because, but you, it's very complicated because in addition to the nouns like madrich and chanich, you have to come up with verbs, ver- suffixes for verbs and for adjectives, right? And so, whereas that uh, idea of a non-binary Hebrew or a gender-neutral Hebrew is unlikely to catch on in Israel, it is likely to catch on in a Hebrew infusion setting where most of the Hebrew words that are used are nouns. Other questions or comments? 
I just want to say that the uh, Hebrew speaking camp, sometimes, sometimes their uh, goal uh, doesn't achieve the purpose. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, Ramah would advertise itself as a Hebrew speaking camp and always thought that, well, I couldn't go there. I don't speak Hebrew. And by the time I figured out that neither did my friends that go there, it was like a little late for me. But, uh, you know, I think I would have had a really good time had they advertised it a little differently. Which Ramah was that? Uh, California. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, was the initial attempt of Ramah camps to be a Hebrew speaking camp. And in fact, in their early brochures, they build themselves as a Hebrew speaking camp, but then they realized they were having trouble getting campers. They needed to fill the beds. And so the need to make it a financially feasible model actually trumped the ideological attachment to Hebraism and and led to them not being a fully Hebrew speaking camp. Initially, they wanted to have requirements that you had to have a certain number of years of Hebrew instruction to to be accepted into Camp Ramah. But some rabbis were angry about this because then they their kids could the kids in their congregations couldn't attend. And so these kinds of um, debates were happening even in the first years of Camp Ramah in Wisconsin and, and in the Poconos. And, and so eventually they stopped billing themselves as a Hebrew speaking camp. Although in Wisconsin, that is still the case that they, they do still do a, a lot of their announcements in Hebrew. And there's an expectation that the campers will, will really use some Hebrew, not in their informal interactions, and they don't get their ayin taken away if they don't do it. Um, but, but, they, but the camps, even from the beginning, were struggling with this issue of <clears throat> should we be a Hebrew-speaking camp or do we want more campers? And it's a shame, uh, Leonard, that even when, when you were um, applying or thinking about going to camps, that they were still calling themselves Hebrew speaking, even though you didn't really need to speak Hebrew to attend the camp. Other questions? I have a question. Yeah. Um, first of all, this was fascinating and I like laughed throughout the entire thing because it just is so relevant and, uh, and very accurate. Um, I'm curious if you did any research around tefillah, because um, one of the things that as a chanecha and a madricha and a rosh ega, um at camp was that we would teach tefillah through, through song, and so they were catching on to words, but then as soon as they got to the older adot, um, the older age groups, they would, they would not necessarily actually know the prayers, because we weren't singing those songs any longer. Um, and so I'm curious if any of your, I know that it doesn't have to do with using like Chadarochel and uh, go, we're going to the MARP and those kinds of things, but, but I'm wondering if you saw any use of language in that kind of way that when it was taken out of context that the students, uh, sorry, the campers didn't necessarily have any, um, uh, any recollection or any context for what they were actually saying because it was now in a different format. 
Well, it's a really interesting question. And I would say that the reform camps do a much better job of tefillah education than Ramah camps, mm-hmm. uh, because they really do focus on the meanings of the prayers, the words of the prayers, and and there is in, there's um, metalinguistic discourse about it. At Ramah camps, it tends to be really just singing and 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 doing the prayers and and making it fun um, with a little bit of instruction here and there. But here's an example from a reform camp um, where the the prayer leader said, knock, knock, who's there? Bar, bar who? Bar who at Adonai? And, or something like whatever, it was something like that. And, you know, there was some eye rolling. Um, but, you know, that kind of, that kind of, um, metalinguistic discourse about the prayer, but then they actually explained what barhu means yeah. um, and, and, you know, talking about the Shema and, and the word Amidah, La'amod, you know, they were, they were trying to teach some of the words surrounding mm-hmm. the prayers. Um, and so that when they would hear the prayers, they would recognize some of the words. Um, but yeah, I think this is an issue in general, also in day schools and in part-time schools. How do we teach tefillah? Do we want the students to be proficient in it, to be able to read the words, to decode them and to, to recite them perfectly? And, or do we want them to understand the meanings? You know, what's yeah. more important? And Ideally, it's both, and ideally, uh, Jew, young Jews would would understand the prayers that they're saying. Um, so it's 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 an interesting issue. Yeah, I, I guess just as a follow up, and I see that there's a question, so you can take you can take another person. Um, but I think that the the context for which. I mean, even myself, when I went into rabbinical school, I didn't necessarily know every word I was saying. And in rabbinical school, they don't necessarily do a good job of teaching us what we're saying there either. So I guess the the question that I'm asking is, and you answered it, I'm just, I'm just relaying the message, is that when our students go off to camp, how much of what they're praying are they recognizing when they come back for Shabbat services? Um... Or are they just going to know that barahu because we're going to sing it a, a certain way? And then when they come back to services, they they don't think that they've even ever heard those words before because now they're in a different tune. So yeah. it would be an interesting way to think about language acquisition in terms of music or no music. And when you brought up the musicals, that's what it made me think of because I know a bunch of Hebrew words to Annie that are not actually real. Um, and... You know, I wouldn't necessarily know them if they weren't in the context of that musical. So, did you do Annie when you were a camper? Yeah, when I was. Yeah, a- I also observed uh, Ramah Camp doing Annie in uh, must have been twenty fourteen or fifteen, twelve, mm-hmm. thirteen. I don't know, one of those years. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just such a great way to teach a little Hebrew, and people yeah. remember the the words, right? Um, and but and the same with the tefillah, they remember the words. But you're right when they when it's a different tune, they might not recognize it or they might not be able to say the words unless they're singing them, right? Right. right. Um, and we'll get to you in a minute, Mathis. But I w- I just want to add one more thing to that, which is um, which is the uh, the Birkat Hamazon. When 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 camps do Birkat Hamazon, there are a lot of hand motions that go with them, right? And it's really fun and it's ritualized, and um, that does has the same effect of 
the 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 singing the prayers and 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 the fun songs it makes hebrew fun right mm-hmm. but at the same time some camps are concerned about that getting out of control right. and um and so one camp uh urj kalsman um a reform camp near seattle ha- came up with this great idea to do basically a sign language version of birkat hamazon so it's something like um, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, like that. Um, and 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 so every word has has something that goes with it instead of just um, random hand motions or banging on the table or a snip when you talk about Brit or Milah or whatever. It is. Anyway, um, but and that ended up being extremely effective at not only making it ritualized and fun, but also teaching some of the words. Yeah. Great, thank you. Okay, Mathis, it's all you. Go ahead. I wanted to add my memory of uh, growing up, so to speak, at Camp Gilboa, the Habonim Dor Camp, was very Zionist-oriented, and we sang uh, every morning at Mifkad, which they don't do anymore. We sang Techazakna, which is a poem by Bialik, I think, which is all about making Aliyah and sacrificing and working and all that stuff. And it uses some very complicated Hebrew words. So later, when I was living in Israel, I realized that the words to Tachazat didn't make any sense that I knew. For example, uh, doesn't mean anything. That's what we sang. That's what I thought we sang. And it's really, uh. may your spirit not fall. And there are several phrases within that that only later, and with the birth of the internet, I was able to look it up. I guess I could have looked it up at the library, but it's easier with the internet. And then now I know the real words, but I have to remember when I'm, if I'm yeah. singing it to myself, whatever, to use the right words or the camp words, depending on my mood, I guess. So I it think helped. that's very I mean, common. It, you know, that, that, yeah. That helped, learning, that helped learning Hebrew. It was when I got to Israel, I certainly benefited by having learned something at camp, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah, and I think that's pretty common, not just with camp Hebrew songs, but with tefillah. You know, people look in a sidur and realize, oh, that's what that word is. I've been saying it wrong, right. or I thought it was an olive and it's an ayin, right? Yeah. Um, and, and another thing related to that is not knowing which words are Hebrew or not. For example, um, some campers at one camp thought that the chader ochel was just named after someone named Chater Ochel. They didn't realize that it meant dining hall, right? Um, and, and there were many alumni of Camp Swig who told me that they always assumed that the Gabawap was a Hebrew word. The Gabawap was actually the green, no, the grassy area behind the Ulam and pool, Gabawap. And they just assumed that that was a Hebrew word <laughs> um, because there were so many other Hebrew words used for things at camp. Um, and so some people are critical of this and say, well, look, if people don't even know what's a Hebrew word and what's not, then we're not serving the purpose. Um, but then you might say, well, if people even assume that English words are Hebrew words, then we are serving our purpose, that, that, that it's, it's fostering this sense of the camper's connection to the Hebrew language and the relationship between Hebrew and the Jewish people. Any other, other questions? Other questions or comments? Yes. How about doctor? Um, I went for four years as a kid, pre-bar mitzvah, to a JCC camp in upstate New York, Sedgwin, which doesn't exist anymore. This is in line with what you just said about that word. And um, 
there was allegedly a giant turtle in the lake that could nip at you. This was used to scare kids. Um, and the turtle's name was Boca Toa, which I realized years <laughs> later was some Native Americanized version of Boker Tov. But uh, it was a camp that actually had very little Hebrew at all, but which is why it wasn't recognized as Boker Tov. So Boca Toa, the giant turtle that could bite you in the lake. Wow, I love that. And I do have a Sedgwin connection. My grandmother worked there. And so my uncle's bar mitzvah was at Sedgwin. Maybe, maybe you were there as a camper. Uh, any other questions? Or does anyone want to sing some uh, Hebrew show tunes? <laughs> we are going to end that before, the, before that begins. <laughs> any, Paula? I taught, um, I taught Hebrew school all through college and law school. And one year I had um, a class of, talk about gender segregation, um, like 10 boys pre-bar mitzvah who all had IEPs, who all had learning disabilities. And I was like, great. You know, I was so determined to teach them. I taught them, I taught them Hebrew with English words. I just, you know, transliterated it. Like you can learn this. And so I started with not even words, you know, just like making up sentences that they could read it. So they understood the words you know, the language, the letters, the initial consonants, vowels, whatever, and then taught them prayers for their bar mitzvah and to lead a Seder. And it was really interesting how that infusion, even in a traditional Hebrew school setting, worked. You know, and later those kids, one, they sang all off key because I taught them. And two, they actually having had an expectation that they would learn, learned, you know, with they, and it was pretty amazing. Their parents would come back and say, I don't know what you did, but they want to come to Hebrew school. Wow. So <laughs> that's great. You made Hebrew fun. Made Hebrew fun. So it's, it's wonderful to, I mean, I, my kids are not big. Well, they went to Camp Tawanga, Judaism light, Hebrew light, right? Because nice. Camp Ramah had too much Hebrew. And it wasn't far enough away. Well, thank you, Dr. Benor. This was just wonderful and such a beautiful way of talking about community in a fun and light way and also a really meaningful way. I think that it, it creates community while you're at those camps. And it also, just like the J-Date ad, which I think is hysterical, shows it really does create community even once you're beyond camp, that you have this internal language that you can speak and hopefully, as your research has shown, it's also seeping into the ways in which we um, we're connecting with our Hebrew and our Judaism even beyond the camping system. So thank you so much for sharing this with us and I hope that we will all read your book um, because it sounds like just a fascinating study and something to really keep on top of as the camping movements also change and, and form into whatever they will be over the next century. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.